You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick and Matty Rose on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour three, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Uh, we've been playing uh, Oilers losing songs uh, all morning. Who's this from, um, GVP? This is from our pal out in Nick. Uh, out in Nick. <laughs> out in Crossfield. Nick in Crossfield. Jeez. Right. <laughs> wow. Awesome stuff. Great request, Crawf- Crossfield. Right. Yes. Put Nick on a hiatus from cracking the mic. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, just, just stop. <laughs> the bottom of the hour, uh, Adnan Verk. Uh, MLB NHL Network Cinephile Podcast will join us. But right now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline uh, from the Jeff Merrick Show, 32 Thoughts Podcast, Mr. Jeff Merrick. Good morning, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm well. Can I put in a request as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course. If you're you're celebrating this, uh, this this Oilers misfortune. I mean, this should make Calgarians very happy. Like, I want to hear a little "Walking on Sunshine" by Katrina and the Waves. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. all melancholy. Like, it's the celebration time. Mm-hmm. Listen, there's not been a whole lot to cheer about right now at the Calgary Flames, and I get that, despite the big win against Seattle on the weekend. But you know, go for it. Take every little victory here. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a, the capital V victory, and then there are the the victories by you know way of the the Oilers losing the uh, the big provincial rivals. So I want to hear "Walking on Sunshine." Damn it, George! I want to hear Katrina and the Waves. We'll play you out with "Walking on Sunshine" by Katrina <laughs> okay, and the Waves. Uh, just just from what what we do uh, as a career, Jeff. Just from like a good talk show fodder perspective, how fun would it be if the Oilers lost to the Sharks on Thursday night? Oh, geez. Okay, so a couple of – one more – there's one more piece to the puzzle here. Okay. I'm gi- giving away my show open today. Right. One more piece to the puzzle here. So San Jose has to lose to Philadelphia. That's oh. what needs to happen. Mm, okay? okay, so the, so if you are a fan, if you're cheering for chaos, George and Matt, mm-hmm. if, you, if that's the way you look at it, right, then right now you're cheering for the Philadelphia Flyers to beat the San Jose Sharks because you need that big bagel there. For the uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, if, mm. if, the, if San Jose can turn the zero into the one at the expense of the Edmonton Oilers, then you uh, have been cheering for chaos. You know, the, I don't know about you guys, but at the beginning of every week, I look at the schedule and try to figure out, okay, what's going to be like, what has the potential to be the best game, and what has the potential to be the most chaotic game. And as you look at the schedule, you probably say, you know what, the best game is probably lining up to be Wednesday's Los Angeles Kings, Vegas Golden Knights affair. Um, but the most chaotic game, and one hurdle is out of the way, courtesy of the Vancouver Canucks last night. The other hurdle is the aforementioned Philadelphia Flyers-San Jose Sharks game is Thursday's San Jose-Edmonton game. That when you take all the emotion out of it and the human cost of it uh, out of it, it just has you know a, a special chaos attached to it the likes of which we did not expect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, should the Flyers, uh, should the Flyers, should the Oilers fly out uh, Daryl Sittler just in case what McDavid might do to the Sharks? You know what? Here, can I get on my soapbox about that? Sure. Here's what I hate about the NHL. Okay. Like you have Quinn oh. Hughes, you have Quinn Hughes the other day last week, right? Yeah. So, you know, they're Vancouver's just scotching the San Jose Sharks. They end up putting up a 10 spot and Quinn Hughes, uh, I think it was I think it was five points after two periods. So he's within striking distance of a record that's held by both Paul Coffey and Tom Bladen, which is Bladen, the ex-Philadelphia Flyers uh, defenseman, which is most points by a defenseman in a game. It's eight, and he's got five after two periods, and they're mm-hmm. playing against San Jose, so he's got a shot at it, right? 
But then all of a sudden we start seeing Carson Soucy on the power play and we got, you know, reduced minutes. And, and it's just like, don't you owe it to the game of hockey to, if you're within striking distance of a record to try to break it. Like I felt the same way about, remember that Buffalo Columbus game last year where Tage Thompson went berserk and yep. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like both Tage Thompson and Daryl Sittler are trending and you're like, holy smokes, like Tage Thompson might break this record that goes back to 1976 in February uh, that just ruined the career of Dave Reese. And all of a sudden his minutes were reduced and yeah, you know, he, he wasn't getting on there. wasn't getting on the power play. And I thought to myself, I understand not wanting to quote unquote hurt the feelings of the other team right. or hurt the feelings of the coach. Wah, wah, wah. But like, don't you owe it to the game? And I kind of feel probably the same way about McDavid. Like guys, if, if it's a blowout game, guys will get close to a record and then all of a sudden, you know, they'll start missing shifts or they'll put out the fourth line as the power play unit. I absolutely hate it. I think it's great for the league when records get broken, but because nobody wants to offend or embarrass anybody by putting out PP1 when a longstanding record is on the line, we won't do it. I hate it. But I know what you're saying, and if someone's going to do it, it would be glorious if we're Connor McDavid. Well, it, and it's also this is this reminds me of when uh, the Patriots had their perfect season, uh, Jeff, and they were just hammering teams, and they had Tom Brady and Randy Moss still out there late throwing touchdown passes. Yeah. This is the highest level of hockey. This isn't your beer league where you're putting your ringer out there and you're up ten to two, and then the guy's going to yeah. get slashed. It's like okay, it's beer league, calm down. But this is the National Hockey League. It's the highest level of sports. If you can't yeah. stop. Them, that's on you yeah that, and you know what that, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me go one more over okay that's what i love about baseball right now so once upon a time when a position player would go in in relief everybody was sort of in on the joke and guys would take it easy the game was out of hand yep. you know it's like 13 nothing in the sixth inning and here comes the second baseman to pitch and nobody really went for it it was like uh, okay we're not gonna the game's over let's just get the game over here but what i like about baseball now is it's almost as if teams get offended if you uh, if you bring in the second baseman as your relief pitcher, or here comes the left fielder for uh, for some relief, and they'll pound the ball. Yeah, like it's okay. We're going to turn thirteen to one into twenty-one to one, and it's still the seventh inning. George, Matt, I absolutely love that. <laughs> and George, I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. This is the highest level of sports. Let's stop worrying about hurting the feelings of the other team. Please, let's just stop. And if other teams want to use that for fuel somewhere down the road, keep that in their hip pocket. Look, in the OHL, uh, the London Knights, Dale Hunter has been running the same stuff out. PP1 doesn't matter what the score is. And, you know, no one likes running up the score against the London Knights than any other team in the league because they've been serving that up for so many years. I want teams to be evil and i'll tell you let me hang on, give me a soapbox here guys i love it well, the one thing the one thing that i can't stand the one because i i assure you no one has ever said this i want you guys to ask yourself and all your listeners right now have you ever said to yourselves i can't wait to go see this game tonight these two teams i can't wait to go watch these two teams really respect each other out there <laughs> right Ooh, yeah. these two teams respect each other i gotta see this I can't like you are selling an entertainment property. Right. It's okay to be the villain. Smart people get that. Other people hold the sport back. 
Russick and I actually did a beer league broadcast. I was hoping it would be respectable, and it was about the opposite of that. So, yeah, yeah, no. Can't think (laughs) of it. The stick work in the third period was incredible, Jeff. It was was actually shocking. Aggressive and not meant for the eyes of their families that were in the crowd. It was very good. Avert your eyes, children. Avert your eyes. Yes. Uh, Hey, I wanted to ask you, do we know if McDavid and Eckholm and some of the top guys for Edmonton are healthy? Because McDavid missed some games, and I haven't seen a McDavid-esque highlight since he came back from missing a couple of games. Eckholm missed camp. He hasn't looked normal. Like This feels like it's a relevant point, especially when you're such a top-heavy team. I think it is. I think it is legitimate. I mean, I think that we have to make the assumption that if you're in the lineup and on the ice, you have to assume health. Like I hate sort of guessing at injuries or the severity of injuries. Like I'm a broadcaster, not a doctor. You know, I, I love that everyone expects referees to know whether a guy's really hurt on the ice because it's a referee, it's not a doctor. Um, so I, I always sort of pull up shy about saying like I'm assuming that Ekholm is still injured. I'm assuming that Connor McDavid. Uh, still has something. You know, later in the season, I always assume that everyone's playing a little bit nicked up. And in the playoffs, I think it's a very fair assumption that that the majority of guys are, while not injured, at least hurts. Um, but, you know, Connor McDavid, no points yesterday. Um, Matthias Ekholm had a laser beam of a, of a goal, but you're right, he has not been the same. Uh, Matthias Ekholm that we saw down the stretch last year or in the playoffs. I think we can wonder about it, but to be able to sit here and tell you, yeah, I think McDavid's still hurt or Matthias Ekholm is still hurt. Uh, I would be a total fraud because I don't know, mm. but I, I think that, you know, I think you can add that to the list of what's wrong with Edmonton. I think you can wonder about it because you're right. Like this does not look like the Matthias Ekholm, that beast we saw in the playoffs. And this certainly does not look like the Connor McDavid we're used to. Well, the players and the team would have a better idea of what everybody is dealing with there. And as there's conversations about Jay Woodcroft's future in Edmonton, I wonder how much of that is a factor for the Edmonton front office. I wonder how much they factor in that they're just not getting saves. There's a lot of things that I, I think aren't going Woodcroft's way that he doesn't necessarily have control over. But at the same time, talk of him on the hot seat. You know, there once once upon a time, and the salary cap complicates all of this. And you guys have seen this before. Before someone gets fired, generally the general manager, this is historic. Historically, the general manager says, before we make a decision on our coach, I owe him a trade. I owe him a trade to shake things up, to, to move the roster around a little bit here, give it a new look, a fresh coat of paint, maybe snap some of the guys to attention here that just saw their buddy leave the room. Um, I know it's difficult in the salary cap universe, especially a flat salary cap universe where everybody's up against that to do that. And I think before Edmonton ultimately makes a decision on Jay Woodcroft, I think, you know, is there the one position where you see how poor play can have an absolute cascading effect on the entire team is the goaltending. And Jack Campbell, you know, we all cross our fingers because he's such a wonderful guy and he's easy to cheer for. Uh, we all, after training camp, we thought, okay, like it's course correct now for, for Jack Campbell. Good for him and good for the Edmonton Oilers. Stuart Skinner coming off a season where he got some Calder Trophy votes. Okay, it looks like Edmonton's goaltending at least should be okay. But these guys are hard to hit and they've been hard to hit all season long so far. And it's getting to the point now where you have, you know, Bob Stoffer and Gene Principe last night talking about, 
you know, goaltenders like Calvin Pickard and Olivier Rodrigue, who are playing in Bakersfield right now, who are both rocking like 930 or in, in Rodrigue's case, like a 968 save percentage. It's like, what's the harm in bringing one of them up and throwing them in there? Like there's goals last night that, you know, that are, that are just plain awful and compliment, uh, uh, you know, making it more devastating is the fact that Edmonton, you know, destroyed Vancouver in that first 15 minutes. And it's Thatcher Demko that kept the Edmonton Oilers in there. Like, that's the salt on the wound. Like, that first period, it should have been 3-1 to Oilers. Instead, you go into the intermission, and it's 3-1 to Vancouver Canucks. And that cascading effect goes right through the blue line to the forwards, to the coaching staff as well. I mean, you guys know this. You talk to the athletes all the time. They play, hockey players play different when they don't have faith in the goalie. Well, they don't think the goaltender is going to make the save, then you change the way that you play. And Edmonton has changed the way that they played even before the, the opening puck drop. Jay Woodcroft has them playing a more defensive system right now. They're having a hard time adjusting to it and making it even worse is, you know, they probably have the worst tandem in the NHL, and that includes the San Jose Sharks, which adds another log onto the fire hmm. of why Thursday could just be chaotic. Where does the Ekholm deal kind of fall into, you know, making a trade for the head coach? Because, that felt like one for sure. Does it, does it have to be this season particular? Like, just wondering a little this bit more season. on that. Yeah, yeah this season. Yeah, the, this season. I mean, last year was all about the playoff push. Sure. This is about you know, uh, is, is our problem? Is our? I think the one thing you have to ask yourself in situations like this is: is our problem coaching or is our problem composition? And I think you need to before you make your decision on the coach remove any idea that the problem is comp, is, is composition because then that's your office. Like then that's the general manager's office. So I, I think the, the first thing you, you at least try to do, uh, and again, I know it's really hard, is, you know, this is a team that needs a shakeup. And in any trade that they're going to make right now, they kind of have to go into it knowing they're going to lose the deal, right? Like they're going to have to, they're going to have to overpay to do it. But I mean, like, I, I, like Elliot brought up a great point yesterday on the, on the radio show, which is, you know, every great team has, you know, four or five clunkers every year. It just happens, right? Like, all of a sudden, like, out of nowhere, a team like, uh, I don't know, like the um, uh, the Montreal Canadiens will be, you know, will just scotch the Vegas Golden Knights. Whoa, who saw that coming? Hmm. Um, right? Like, that happens yeah. four or five times to a really good team. Edmonton's used up all their bad games. Like, they can't afford any more clunkers anymore and again that throws another log on the fire of the san jose game against Edmonton on thursday but like they've used all of those up so they need to play at an insane clip right now like a 750 clip you figure guys oh, if man. they're going to start even even whispering playoffs and they're going to do it with this goaltending tandem and this blue line uh i don't know that's a really tall order like at a certain point you have to say to yourself okay we can't go on with these two goaltenders anymore um, teams are going to really try to fleece us in a deal, and we have to go into any conversation knowing that if we're going to salvage this season and salvage our goaltending, we're going to lose a trade, but we need a new goalie in here ASAP. Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, the 32 Thoughts Podcast, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza in Sports Bar Guest Hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 The Fan. I love asking these types of questions, Jeff. Which is more okay. likely to happen? The Flames trade a blue liner to the Oilers or Daryl Sutter behind the bench at Edmonton? <laughs> so Elliot and I had this question on the podcast. Like Elliot, first of all, Elliot doesn't throw these things out. Like he always says things like, I'm just spitballing here. Elliot's yeah. never spitballing. Right. Like, Elliot's got like 
something in his hip pocket that he's not thinking. You know, I wonder if, you know, Calgary <laughs> right. would, you know, look at, you know, Zadorov and maybe Tanev and, oh, I don't know, Dan Vladar maybe. And like, would they, would they do something with the, uh, with the Edmonton Oilers? I'm just throwing it out there. Just, you know, just sports talk radio. That's, that's all I'm doing here. And I have a really hard time believing that, that Craig Conroy uh, wants to throw any lifelines right now to the Edmonton Oilers, considering how Calgary's season is going. And uh, e- even if it's, a, even if it's a, a slam dunk win for Calgary in the trade, like unless they're getting McDavid or Dreisaitl in it, uh, I have a really hard time with you know, the idea that Conroy is going to try to help the Edmonton Oilers through this mess. I mean, there's a there's an old there's an old uh, stock market saying, which I think applies in this situation. If you're the Calgary Flames, never try to catch a falling knife. And if you're Craig huh. Conroy or the Calgary Flames or Flames fans, just continue to watch this knife fall. Don't try to grab it because if you do and it turns things around for the Edmonton Oilers, then you will be labeled as the general manager that helped turn things around for the Edmonton Oilers. Guys, never try to catch a falling knife. Cup or bust. Love to see it. Hey, I wanted to ask you about the Anaheim Ducks. Um, what, Jeez, tough what, crowd. Mm, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just trying not to enjoy this too much. He's Calgary through and through, Jeff. He's oh, Calgary man, through and through. Born and bred. I love it. Mm, it's so good. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, how about these Ducks? Six in a row? I know you're a big proponent of a lot of the young players on this team. The Minchikovs, the McTavishes, maybe Zegris to the lesser extent. But the Drysdales, for sure. What are you seeing from this Ducks yeah. team, and are they sustainable? I don't know about that. I don't know if they're sustainable, but enjoy the run because I think what the Anaheim Ducks are doing right now, and Greg Cronin has his team playing really hard, is we, we always talk about it, right? It's the old sports cliche. You can sell wins or you can sell hope. And right now what the Anaheim Ducks are selling to their fans is hope. So you know when this team finally fully matures and is a consistent Stanley Cup team, and that might be sooner than later. Um, you know what it's going to look like. It's going to be Lucas Dostal as your starting net minder, you know, the OHL's rookie of the month in October. It's going to be Pavel Minchikov on the blue line. It's going to be, you know, Jackson McComb. It's going to be, you know, Olin Delwiger, who we still haven't even seen, who might be the best of the bunch. It's going to be Jamie Drysdale. It's going to be, you know, a Mason, Mason, Mason McCavish, who will probably end up being the captain. It'll be Troy Terry. It'll be Leo Carlson. It'll be Trevor Zegras. Like, you know what this team is going to look like when it actualizes. Like I always talk about teams in two stakes, uh, potentiality and actuality. Um, like a team like Vegas is a team that's existing in actuality. Ditto, you know, any other, you know, Stanley cup contender, a team like the Anaheim ducks is still existing in potentiality. And that's what they're selling right now. Is it sustainable? I don't think so over 82 games, but what they're doing is giving everybody a glimpse into what this thing is going to look like when consistently they are this good, because I think we can all see this coming. Uh, Jeff, who's had a better season, Johnny Goudreau or Jonathan Huberto? Oh, brother. Is there an option for C? <laughs> none of the above? Yeah, maybe none of the above here. I mean, I... The Huberto thing to me screams that, you know, he needs someone really fast on his line like he had um, with, the, with the Florida Panthers um, to sort of help create space coming in over the blue line. And I, I, I do wonder, 
if the Calgary Flames have, have talked about or, or thought about bringing in Anthony DeClaire from the San Jose Sharks, I would imagine that, you know, it's pretty close to fire sale there now uh, with Mike Greer. Um, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, it, it, the, the, the Gaudreau situation is, is really interesting because as much as, you know, Pascal Vincent was sort of brought in and everyone said, okay, you know, players coach, right? Like the, the nice guy coach, this isn't Mike Babcock. You know, we saw Johnny Gaudreau sat down on, on the weekend and benched and his game has been criticized. Um, this is exactly what Columbus wanted. Like this is exactly what the Blue Jackets wanted. Like they want someone to come in and crack the whip. They felt that players have become too lackadaisical. There's a country club atmosphere around the team, highly paid guys, put your feet up, count your money. Uh, I think this is exactly what Columbus, like I think this is what Yarmo Kekalainen and John Davidson wanted. Um, even after, you know, Mike Babcock, you know, self-immolated. Um, this is this is what Columbus wants. And whether it's Johnny Goudreau or one day, you know, again, it'll be, you know, Patrick Laine or one day it might even be Zach Wierenski, who knows. I think, I, I think we, we should probably expect a steady diet of this as the Columbus Blue Jackets try to try to turn things around. Like some players, it'll work. Some players will ask for trades. Uh, but at the end of it, Columbus is going to get the team that they wanted, which is one that's um, one that's, that's, that's more accountable and, and one that's called out consistently by their coach. Sorry, I got to turn my mic on here. I wanted to ask you about the Calder race as well. Uh, it's not as clear as we once thought it would be. Connor Bedard, certainly in the mix, but... Who else is kind of catching your eye around the league? Lucas Dostal, mm-hmm. you know, and he was uh, not just because he was rookie of the month. Um, and I, I know it's, 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 it's tough because not a, a whole lot of people watch, watch Anaheim Ducks games, but you should folks like shame on you. Watch your, <laughs> watch your Anaheim Ducks. I mean, they're I so late, Jeff, po- Jeff, they're so oh, late. I know, but they're so good though. There's so much fun. Frank Petrano is like, I, I swear he has like the ghost of rocket Richard in him. Every time he touches the puck, he scores. Um, you know, Pavel Minchikov's making some noise. I mean, Logan Cooley, many predicted at the beginning of the season with Arizona that he would be the, the, the last man standing in this race. Um, I think it would be wonderful, a wonderful marketing for the league to have, you know, Jack Hughes win the Art Ross and the Hart Trophy and Quinn Hughes win the Norris and Luke Hughes win the Calder. Uh, that might be too much to ask, but I mean, Matthew Poitra in Boston has been phenomenal as well. Like you're right. Like this is, this is crowded. This isn't just, you know, this isn't just Connor Bedard going to run away with things here. Mm-hmm. This is a, a really, really good rookie crop here. And, and right now it's, it's early. No one's distinguished themselves as the leader. And, you know, here we are in November and it's still very much jump ball. So it's going to be a good race. Uh, Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, by request, uh, let's play him out, please, uh, GDP, <laughs> with some Katrina in the waves. Oh, it's a good pick. It, it definitely Just is. brings me right up. Um, I'm, that one line, uh, I can't wait till you write me again. Uh, mm. Like, that's not dated at all now, at all. Go to the mailbox because I'm waiting for another letter. Like, that's not dated at all, Jeff, uh, but it's letters? still a classic. No. I only write letters where I cut the letters out of magazines and paste them. Sorry, what? Jeff Merrick, uh, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, uh, 32 Thoughts Podcast. Jeff, always a pleasure. Thanks for this, pal. See you, man. That was fun, boys. Let's do it again soon. There he is on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We're taking your Oilers losing songs. There's some upset Oilers fans on our text line. Uh, there's not as many as there usually is. I'll say that. They're a because little quieter they're than usual. Lumps. A little quieter than usual, boys. Hey, you see the smile on Maddie's face? You see the glitz, boys. You see the glint in his eye too. Yeah, look at you. Look I'm at you. Get on judge. sunshine, baby. You love it. Yep. 
<laughs> when Jeff Parrott goes outside of Ekholm, it's a beer league defense. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. Vibes are high, boys. That's tough. Vibes are high. It's tough. Uh, Adnan Verk straight ahead. Uh, Don Mattingly's leaving the Jays, maybe? Yeah. Shohei Otani to the Blue Jays? Ah! <laughs> Cody Ballinger? Whoa! Okay, yeah, now, now I'm listening. His option. And uh, yeah. we'll know... Uh, Joey Votto? Maybe if he feels if if he wants to do it, I would totally welcome to be the DH oh, of course. for a hundred games a year. And uh, we'll we'll pit Adnan <laughs> against our man uh, Patty Dumont in a U.S. Capitals quiz that Adnan has no idea we're going to do. Yeah, Big Show Russick and Rose Sportsnet nine sixty the fan. Big Show Russick and Rose Sportsnet nine sixty the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're picking Oilers uh, losing songs. Who's this from, GVP? Uh, Dylan. Okay, thanks, Dylan. Um, sad. Great sad. day to be live. It is. Mm. Oilers having a tough time of it. Tough, tough time of it. Uh, our next guest, uh, one of our favorites uh, from the MLB NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We say good morning to Mr. Adnan Burke. Hello, sir. How are you? George, Maddie, I appreciate the compliment. I return it to you fellows as well. Always a pleasure to catch up. And speaking of country, yeah. I still got the country vibe. Having been in Texas and in Arizona for the World Series, I still got that, that country vibe. George Strait, fantastic. Mm. And I got to tell you, I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. Tim McGraw, fantastic. Mm. Look at you. I thought you were going to do your southern accent there for a second when you said Arizona. It sounded like it was sneaking out for a moment. <laughs> well, I, I am kind of like a chameleon. I start to adapt wherever I am. But mm. I got to tell you, fellas, I know, I know, I know. The headlines was oh, lowest rated World Series ever. Nobody cares. I had a blast. I mean, first World Series in nine years, and I got eighty and sunny in Arizona, plus twenty seven, blue skies. Went hiking a couple days. I mean, I'd never kind of well of a World Series. I'm Look not at sure. you. <laughs> I felt great. I like the fact that you're living your best life. Uh, it's awesome. Um, were you feeling for Blue Jays fans watching Gab Moreno hit dingers for the Arizona Diamondbacks? Without question, George. <laughs> God, what a terrible trade, right? Let, let's be honest. Well, I mean, it's only one year in. It might turn around. That's what I, I, I heard like from our, our, your colleagues, Mike Wilner and Shai Davidi. Like, I, well, I, like, I, I get it. I like, I like both of those guys. I respect them, but come on, man. Yeah. No, I, I am with you, George. I was talking to Mark DeRosa, who's – Arguably our best analyst does a phenomenal job, former Blue Jay. And Dero said to me, he goes, listen, man, Farshaw might hit you 25 home runs in the next few years, and he plays a great defense. But Gabby Moreno is going to be a cornerstone player, perennial all-star, for like a decade. Like, you don't get that, man. Like, that, that, that's a stud. And he goes, I'm not even mentioning Gurriel as an all-star this year. Like, let's suppose Gurriel's good, not great. Okay, he goes, what y'all buy? Because Moreno's a stud. And he goes, I get it. You had three catchers. You have Kirk, you got Jansen Moreno. There's no point in carrying three catchers. They fell in love with Kirk, and guess what? Had a disappointing offensive season. What did he hit, like 260 this year? Like 12 home runs? Jansen was good as a backup. Not sure he's an everyday guy. And Moreno throws out 38% of base runners. That's number one in the National League. Which, by comparison, we had Pudge on, Yvonne Rodriguez, of course. Pudge threw out for his career 46% of would-be base dealers. Wow. And one year throw out 60%, which is insane. But point being, Moreno's got a hose for an arm. He calls a great game. He's like arguably gold glove defense, which he just won the gold glove this year and could win it every year. And he can hit some big home runs. So uh, with apologies to Don Varsho, like, like Dero said, 
He'll hit you 20, 25 home runs. He plays a great defense, but he ain't Gabriel Moreno. That's a tough one. Yeah, like I, I'm again. I, I've had this take, and I always have this take, Adnan. I'm o, I'm o, I'm always good to trade prospects for proven Major League Baseball talent, but. If you're going to trade yeah. the number one prospect in your organization, you need a superstar in return. Not a guy who's got a really good glove, and if I hear it one more time, I'm going to scream, could be your third catcher. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, George. This is, you always hear that idea of, like, don't trade strength for strength. But I, I don't necessarily agree with that either. Like, I don't think you should keep three catchers. Like, to be clear, I'm like, no, no, I mean, we don't need three catchers. Let's go ahead and trade them. Now, we could argue, should they have traded Kirk and kept Moreno? Okay, that's perhaps a conversation worth having. But I'm with you. Whatever trade you make, if Moreno's the guy, you say he's the opposite. We just love Kirk. Okay, fine. That's all good. But you've got to get a stud back. You've got to make sure that the guy you get back is great. I thought you were going to say, if I hear one more time, Dalton Marshall leads in defensive run save, I'm going to blow my head off. Like every, yeah. like every time I go, well, it was defensive run save numbers. Like, no, I got it, dude. Like the last time I checked, I need a guy to hit more than 210. Like, can we just accept that? Like the defensive run save is awesome. Okay, off the charts. Dalton Marshall plays incredible defense. Got it. And he can hit 20 home runs. How about you hit me 280? That's kind of what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting you to hit in the doldrums. I mean, like a number eight here for the Blue Jays. I need more than that. Um, we had Jeff Blair on uh, during their uh, postmortem of the Blue Jays, and he talked about Dalton Varsho. And uh, this is what yeah. he said on our show, Adnan. Take a listen. You know what it takes to play small ball? <laughs> small balls. <laughs> <laughs> Hysterical and accurate, I might add. Yes. Jeff Blair knows what he's talking about. Very yeah. accurate. Mm. Um, mm. Apparently, Don Mattingly is leaving the Blue Jays to go to the Brewers. Uh, explain to me what Don Mattingly did for the Blue Jays this season, because I can't. <laughs> well, I kept thinking the whole time, and the storyline, especially here in North Jersey, because John Schneider grew up in Jersey, huge Yankee fan. Mattingly was his hero, and I'm like, how awkward is this? Like, you know, I grew up a huge Flyers fan. Imagine I was the Flyers coach and Ron Hextall was my assistant. Like, the entire time, like, actually, whatever you say, man, you're, you're my favorite goalie. I'm seven. Whatever you think we should be doing. Like, I couldn't imagine how awkward it must have been for Shiner. Now, Crash Donnie Baseball is a great guy. I'm sure he made it made a calm for him. But it just felt like Don Manley is literally there like a vulture waiting in the wings. And as soon as Shiner goes, Manley's the guy. Now, especially the way the season unfolded, the Jays underachieved clearly. Barrios throws 47 pitches, gets the hook, and Ross Atkins hilariously throws Schneider under the bus. Well, that wasn't my decision. You can ask him about that. And I thought for sure Schneider's gone mildly as the manager. And instead, like you said, he's going to the Brewers. I don't think he gave us a ton this year. I think he was there for his whatever you want to call sage wisdom. Whenever people point out the intangibles, they go, well, how about you give me the tangibles? Like, I like, I like tangible evidence of what you do. And then you can say he brought intangibles. Oh, there's leadership and poise, blah, blah, blah. I don't think Don Mattingly brought much because the Jays underachieved. So as much as I want to just blame John Schneider for that, I can't. I have to blame the whole coaching staff. So Donnie Baseball gets some of the blame as well. This is a Jays team that's probably going to be losing some guys in some key spots. Who do you think uh, would look good in a Jays jersey for the upcoming season? Maybe a little Joey Votto, 40-year-old Canadian, a little homecoming? How about it? Yeah, I can. This goes back to our intangibles conversation. Like, I adore Joey Votto. <laughs> He's one of the greatest Canadian baseball players ever. But if I'm signing him, can he still hit? That's what I'm looking for. Mm. I know he's going to bring the intangibles. I know Canadians will show up and go, oh, my God, it's Joey Votto. He's Canadian. I love this guy. And he's funny. And he's great on TikTok. And he can do Instagram videos. And Shai Davidi will like him. And Mike Willer will like him because he's a good interview. But, like, can he still hit? That, that's my concern. Yeah. Like, when I watched him last year, he was hit, like, 210 with some pop. Like, again, he could be another Dalton Bar show. Joey Votto's going to hit me 23 home runs. Can he be the third catcher? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Can't help himself. Third catcher. He can't help himself out there. Yeah. So I don't, again, I adore Joey Votto. He is one of my favorite players. 
I don't know how much more baseball he has left in the tank. And to be honest, once the Reds said sayonara, I figured that'd be it. Now, the fact he still wants to keep playing, is that accurate? Is that proof he has more left in the tank? Or is this the vanity and ego of a player who's like, ah, he's just got to keep going. I'm like, okay, like we're going to have to take a closer look here and see what it is. Listen, if it's one year for $3 million, yeah, sure, what the hell? He'll be like my backup first baseman. If he wants to be an everyday guy Mm. and still get 500 at-bats, I don't know if he's going to be as productive as I'm hoping for and, and worthy of taking a roster spot. In terms of guys leaving, though, Matty, you're right. Listen, Chapman's gone. I just listened to Steve, by Steve Phillips, who's the former Mets GM on MLB Network Radio, who's great. I had predicted the other day that Chapman would get $100 million. Steve was specific. He said five years, 110 because he says he has a war of four, and he goes, he can pick it up. We all know his defense is extraordinary, and he can hit home runs. Sounds like someone else we know, right? Kind of like Dalton Varsho. He can play great defense, hit home runs, right. and he hits for a low average. Chapman's going to hit you 220. Congratulations. If I'm in the Blue Jays, I'm not giving you $100 million. I've right. got enough of those guys, but he will get paid. He's right about that. Chapman's going to leave. The Jays will need a new third baseman, whether or not that's Santiago Espinal or whoever they're going to figure out. That's definitely one void there for the Jays. Uh, the Blue Jays should just back up the truck for Cody Bellinger, right? Honestly, he makes so much sense, George. Like, he's a left-handed bat who came back in a massive way. And for anybody who's skittish and says, wait, he was an MVP, then he stunk, and now he's great again. Like, what went on there? I'm like, honestly, a lot of it comes down to health. He wasn't very healthy for a couple of years, and instead he battled injuries. And maybe a little bit of Chicago and just, you know, that's always generally a hitter-friendly park. But regardless, this guy's 330 to 100. You, you don't get that, all right? That's very tough to get these days. I think the specific numbers might be 27 home runs and 99 home runs, whatever it is. He's, he's 330 to 100 in my eyes, and he's still, like, I think 29, maybe turning 30, like a former MVP who just had a resurgent year. Go ahead, pal, whatever you want. Seven years, 175, that probably will get it done, right? $25 million a year. Like, to play in Toronto with that park where – we always felt like a hitter's park, and all of a sudden the Jays couldn't hit home runs. Like, they build these new dimensions, and all of a sudden Vlad Jr.'s like, man, can't wait to get on the road. He just, just can't hit home runs at home. Well, for a lefty power bat, which the Jays have needed for years, yep. which is exactly why they traded for Varsha, as we know, right? Why they trade for him? We've got to get a left-handed bat. They're too ready-heavy. For two years, it's been the issue. And now you're telling me there's a lefty slugger who's in the prime of his career, who's a former MVP, back up the truck, call Scott Boris, let's get this done. Adnan Verk, MLB, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast, joining us here on the Atlas Beats and Sports Podcast Hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 to fan. How comical is when you see the tweet that the Blue Jays have, quote, checked in on Shohei Otani? How much is that just playing up to the fans <laughs> that, like, yeah, we called them. Hey, Shohei, what about the Blue Jays? And, like, come on, how, how even remotely, like, not serious are the Blue Jays in signing Shohei Otani? Well, it's a great baseball term. <coughs> Sorry, guys, I'm choking up the idea of Otani. <laughs> I would love it. He, he's the most yeah. interesting man in baseball. Please show a Otani for the Toronto Blue Jays. Zero chance it's happening. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great term called eyewash, right? I love when baseball players say that to me. Bill Ripken's fond of saying eyewash. It basically means it's not happening. They're just doing it because it looks good. That's, this is classic <laughs> yeah. eyewash. Oh, we checked in on it. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, thanks for checking in. What did he say? How'd the conversation go? <laughs> what was it, five minutes? Three minutes? Was it a text message? Like, oh, I hear there's – like, think of how you have to sell Otani. First thing with Toronto, I'd go diversity. i go, Shohei, we have a prominent Asian population. Okay? Like, you'd feel really comfortable. There's a lot of great Japanese restaurants. Awesome. What else you got? Ah, uh, well, you know, the team is uh, kind of an underachiever. We could really use your talent to bolster us. Hey, our pitching's awesome. Okay. Yeah, I know you have two-time Tommy John here. You're not really going to need to pitch for a while, so we can make you a closer. If you don't want to pitch at all, it's fine. Just hit. We teach you hit a lot of home runs. 
And you'll have to contend with the Yankees and the Red Sox in the toughest division of baseball. But, yeah, it gets a little cold kind of in April. But whatever, dude, we want you to leave sunny Los Angeles and SoCal to come here. Come on. We'll overpay if we have to. I think that for Toronto, it's obviously a reach. It would be a miracle of miracles. If the Jays got Otani, I would do backflips. I think we would all go shirtless for weeks on end just out of sheer appreciation to have Otani. It ain't going to happen, but I'm glad they checked in. And, by the way, there's a slight, very, very slight, bit of mm-hmm. backlash people against Otani who say, is he really worth it? In this instance, we've seen now the toll this takes in his body doing both pitching and hitting. And I think you'd have to be really optimistic if you think he's going to be able to continue to do both at a high level. Two-time Tommy John, he's not going to pitch next year, 2025 20, he pitches. Maybe you put him as a closer, although someone said that to me, and then I quickly said, well, hang on a second, how is he going to warm up? Like <laughs> imagine he's sitting third yeah. in the lineup, waiting to pitch the eighth in the lineup. Like, he's just gonna hop in the tunnel in between innings. Like, oh, he's just throw ten pitches here, boys. Let's do this. Like, no. Like, either he's a starting pitcher and will probably get hurt again, or I don't see him being like a reliever like John Smoltz or like Tim Lincecum when those guys from the Stars relievers. It doesn't make sense. No. But just just as a hitter, would I give him five hundred million dollars? Of course I would. He's Joey Otani. He's thirty. He'll hit me forty five home runs and hit three hundred and. 100-plus RBI. Go ahead, dude. I'll do it. And for the marketing appeal, forget about it. You'll get all that money back. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a steal, but you'll get your money back. No question. Well, the guy's a top-10 pitcher, a starting pitcher in baseball. He has to do that. Right. Forget closer. He has to be a pitcher. Yeah. And, the, and again, you assume some risk, George, as we all do. Hey, two-time Tommy Johnny gets hurt again. Okay, fine. But, like, he's yeah. made it very clear he wants to pitch as well. Remember when he first came over, the Yankees were interested? What was the word? He said, I want to do both. They're like, eh, we just want to see you do one or the other. The reason he picked the Angels is they said, okay, sure. Remember Joe Madden was like, whatever you want, bud. You want to pitch you get hit it, we'll make it work for you. That's why he picked the Angels. So now everyone's like, oh, whatever you want, Shohei. Like, yeah, you, dude, he is going to have the pick of the litter. Whatever he wants, you'd better give it to him. If he wants to pitch every day for some reason, he wants to be an opener every day. Whatever you say, Shohei, like, you have to yeah. get the behest of this guy. Because he's that special a player. He's the most electric baseball player in over a hundred years, and and and, yeah. and, and I, I'm just that's not hyperbole. That's just the truth. He is a unicorn of unicorns, and he's incredible to watch. Uh, what the hell are the Yankees doing? Are they going to be trading uh, for Juan Soto? Is that pretty much a done deal? Feels like it, man. If not Soto, I could see Blake Snell certainly in the mix. I mean, oh, although you could see that one, right? Like the guy wins the Cy Young up and down, has an incredible year this year. Ton of walks, like a really odd anomaly of a season in which he has the lowest ERA, and he was certainly outstanding, but a ton of walks, those are league walks, effectively wild to use the term as they used to say about Randy Johnson. But he's going to win his second Cy Young. Whoever signs him, I think immediately will go, well, that's a lot of money for Blake Snell, but what the hell? I could see the Jays at least, or the Yankees, excuse me, thinking about it because their pitching staff was literally Garrett Cole and a bunch of stuff. Like they have to hope Nestor Cortez can bounce back, they hope to Severino can bounce back. And they have to hope Rodon doesn't go down as one of the biggest busts in baseball history. Quite simply, he got paid $150 million and stunk up the joint in year one. He was not healthy, did not pitch well when he was available. Uh, you know, blew that kiss to the fans when he got pulled early. Like, it was just a bad, bad season all around. So either they have to feel like well, we can fix Rodon or let's go get another veteran lefty and hope Snell could be the answer. But the Padres defaulted on their payments. For those who don't know the story, they had this large payroll, even though they only have the 18th biggest media market in America, and owed like they took a $50 million loan in September. So pretty obvious they're going to have to divest themselves of some salary. Soto's a free agent a year from now. That makes the most sense. You trade him for Soto. It didn't work out. Go trade him and talk about perfect fits. 
Bellinger with the Jays, and Soto with the Yankees. Short porch, lefty, tons of power and potential, and had a great year. I mean, I was tough on him the first month, George and Matty. I called him once, so-so, and took a few shots. But i got to be honest. I looked at <laughs> very good. Not bad. Yeah, very good. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i, I got to be honest. I looked at his numbers overall. He was a top-ten hitter in baseball. So he's electric, and he's only 25 years old. The Yankees got to give him whatever he wants, half a billion. Let's make the trade. Killers of the Flower Moon. I know you're a big fan already. Uh, it's a long film. Convince me to go see it in theaters. Yeah, it's an incredible film. And, and listen, I know it's long. There's no question about it, Maddie. But I think films like that can be incredibly rewarding and absorbing. The Godfather 2 was over three hours. So was Lawrence of Arabia. Casino is a long movie. Wolf of Wall Street's over three hours. So I think great movies can be long, and you can still appreciate the skill involved in them. And I have to be honest, I thought it was really well-paced. I mean, I have more than a couple of friends who text me going, you know what, I know it was three hours, and it's long. Don't get me wrong here, but I thought it was very well-paced. I didn't feel the length because the story was so enveloping. And I'll be honest, when you're dealing with subject matter like this, literally the murder and desecration of the Osage Indians in Oklahoma in 1920s, that can't be an hour 30. Like, you kind of need the weight of the story and the breadth and the scope which Scorsese brings to the table. And I thought DiCaprio was incredibly tortured and memorable. De Niro, diabolical, his best performance in decades. He's destined for another Oscar nomination, perhaps his third Oscar. But the revelation really is Lily Gladstone. And there's not a lot of indigenous actors we would know, but she's now going to be a name to know. I mean, she's amazing playing DiCaprio's wife and uh, really in many ways is the heart and soul of the film. And, and obviously Scorsese's direction, the fact he co-wrote the script, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's no surprise, fellas, 93% Rotten Tomatoes, so the critics love it, but it got an A-minus cinema score. That means audiences, after seeing it, give it a grade. That means that audiences and critics love this movie. It's terrific. All right, I have a follow-up on this really quickly because I'm a greasy dude who's gambling again. Um, Killers of the Flower <laughs> Moon is plus 245 to win Best Picture, and Martin Scorsese is plus 200 to win Best Director, both behind Oppenheimer and Christopher Nolan, of course, the director of that film. Is this worth a little bit of a sprinkle right now, you think? Well, here's the thing. It's going to be picture either or, either or so one of those others, and the director's going to be one of the other. Now, I think what might happen is this. I think Killers wins Best Picture. I think not only the fact it's the better movie, but it's also the film which has a greater reach and just feels more substantial. That's quite a statement to make because Oppenheimer is about a guy who made the atomic bomb. But I think Killers of Fire Moon has a real scope to it and that epic feel the Oscars love. Now, director, Marty's only won one Oscar, which is crazy to think. 14 nominations, nine-time nominee for Best Director, and the one winner for The Departed, which I enjoy. It's very entertaining, but it's clearly not his best movie. Having said that, Nolan is due. He's never won an Oscar. He's clearly one of our best directors. I think they're smart and split the vote. Nolan wins director. Marty wins for screenplay. He's never won for screenplay. He co-wrote the script with Eric Roth. Mm. That would be his second Academy Award, but first as a writer. So that's my, that's my prediction. I'd go picture for Flower Moon, director Nolan, but Marty gets one for the script. Um, Cocaine Bear plus 2,200. I don't, it looks like a good option. <laughs> Those odds are pretty good. How do I say no? Sorry. Hey, how are I the can't. odds right now, Matty? I just saw... Four things, which opens a month from now. Emma Stone is remarkable. I think she's the favorite for yeah. best actress. Give me the odds right now. Emma Stone for Poor Things. Can you call that up? Uh, yeah, I got Poor Things is the third best for the odds, plus 535 for the full movie. And Emma is, in fact, the leader for best actress at plus 135. Lily Gladstone plus hanging money. around. I don't even know what movie Lily was in, but she's also Killers. right there at plus 155. Yeah, Lily's Killers of Fire Moon. I think she should win, but I got to tell you, Emma Stone was amazing this movie. It is bonkers. It's like Frankenstein as a feminist movie. Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, Emmy. Uh, it was. It was. It's the guy who did the favorite and the lobster. I feel like Rustic has seen the lobster. Maddie, maybe you and I have talked about this before, but he's 
he's an eccentric director to be sure. The movie comes out December eighth, and uh, Emma Stone is definitely going to be in line for another Oscar. Yeah. It was really weird, but wonderful. I got to see that. I'm a big fan of Emma Stone. Way back to Zombieland yeah. days, um, Adnan. Lover in Zombieland. She's awesome. She's awesome in that movie. Her physical comedy in this movie is really good. You're right. Zombieland, Woody Harrelson, underrated. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Um, I'm going to throw, sorry, I'm going to throw a curveball at you with all this baseball talk. Sure. Um, Our technical director, our esteemed, no, our esteemed producer, um, our technical director, GVP, is going to have the music. Our producer, Patrick Dumas, says uh, he knows U.S. geography like nobody's business. How are you on U.S. geography and state capitals? Uh, not great, but probably Patrick probably better than me, but let's go ahead and give it a shot. Yeah, let's go head to head here because you live in the good old U.S. of A. And Patrick's a uh, a Calgarian who knows his U.S. geography for some weird reason. You ready, Patrick? Yeah, let's go. Uh, Adnan, let's start with you. There you go. Okay, yeah. Oh, Uh, wow. uh, The state capital, Adnan, of Kansas. Oof. (laughs) Uh, Lawrence, Kansas. No. Nope, that's a buzzer. Uh, that'll be Topeka. Topeka, yes! Topeka. Patrick! <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Patrick. Sure. Uh, Alabama. Montgomery. Oh, he didn't even hesitate. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> wow. wow. Pretty good. Uh, and then, you ready? Um, okay. Ohio. Damn, I was, like, praying for, uh... Vermont, so I could just say Montpellier. Uh, Ohio <laughs> Columbus. Yes. Yes, yes, that's well correct. Well done, well done. Uh, it's a 2-1, Patrick. Uh, Patrick, West Virginia. No, no, it's 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Well, he stole one from you, but that's fine. West Virginia? Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Okay, uh, It'll be Charleston. Yeah, 3-1, Patrick. Yeah, congratulations. Like, you are... Damn it. He's wow. a savage. Um, savage. Why don't we try Wisconsin? Dad, Ned? I'm at Madison. Yes, yes. Pretty good. Uh, Patrick. Uh, give us Maine, Augusta. Oh my! You're not even. He- he's not even hesitating. No, just, wow! <laughs> he's a machine. How did he not go Bangor? That's incredible. He did not go Bangor. Maine. Or even Portland. Wow. Portland's the biggest in Maine. Oh, I believe. Wow! Um, and then Portland's in Washington. And well, one of the most electric states oh. in the United States, <laughs> Delaware. Delaware. Oh Jesus! I don't think I can name one city in Delaware. <laughs> Delaware. Uh, Delaware. I just. know. I just know Biden's from Delaware, the Blue Hens, Joe Biden. Uh, <laughs> Delaware. God, I feel it, Patrick. What is it? Uh, that'll be uh, Dover. Oh, my God. How? Dover. Jeez. It's also the first state wow. in the union. <laughs> what? Is this like your hidden talent that you know U.S. state capitals? You can go, like, I just always love geography capitals, like, from when I was a kid, man. Like, okay. At, like, I love yeah. geography, but I don't know U.S. capitals like oh, yeah. you know U.S. capitals. Oh, yeah. and, uh, ready, ready for another one, Patrick? Yeah. Uh, Maryland. Uh, Maryland's Annapolis. Oh, my God. He's Naval not even Academy. hesitating. Naval Academy. Unstoppable. Naval Academy. Okay, one more for you, Adnan, after you're getting... And again, this isn't fair to you. You're against an absolute buzzsaw in Patrick. Um, yeah. Mississippi. Uh, I don't think it is. I'm going to go Jackson, Mississippi. Yes! Well done. Well done. Uh, again, not fair to you. Uh, Patrick's an absolute uh, buzzsaw. Adnan, uh, NHL, MLB Network, Cinephile Podcast. Terrific stuff as usual. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon, pal. Thanks for this. Topeka, Kansas is going to haunt me, fellas. Thanks yeah, always. it should. It should. We'll do it soon. Uh, you ready for one more before uh, we yeah, go? Yeah, let's go. Oh, okay. uh, 